Welcome to The Digital Change, a production of the Innovation Podcast Network. This podcast discusses key insights into the digital disruptions that are taking place in all sectors. Learn from industry experts on how you can capture and harness the value of this digital economy. Now here's our host, David Swank, CEO of the Innovation Platform. Well, welcome to another edition of the Digital Change Podcast. Great to have you with us today and a a podcast where we really talk about um, the idea of achievable solutions, impactful results, and meaningful experiences. And we're so excited today to have with us uh, Tisha Schuler, who is the founder of Adamantine Energy that provides thought leadership to transform energy policy and politics across the country and around the world. Uh, Tisha consults private clients from Fortune 500 energy companies to nonprofit environmental organizations in the energy sector. And uh, Tisha most recently worked as president and chief executive officer of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association in one of the most dramatic and contentious times for energy development in Colorado history. Uh, Tisha has a BS uh, degree in Earth Systems with an emphasis in geology from Stanford University. And Tisha, it is absolutely great to have you with us today. We're excited to have you a part of our podcast. Thanks. Pleasure to be on. Tisha is the author of a new book called Accidentally Adamant, which was published in April of last year. And Tisha, as I think about the word adamant, I think about words of like unshakable, immovable, unwavering, and resolute. So I'm anxious to hear, I'm sure our audience is anxious to hear a little more about uh, this book. And perhaps uh, when you share about your uh, writing this book, maybe it'll give our audience a little more insight as to uh, the focus of adamantine energy. So would you mind by starting today by sharing a little bit about adamantine energy and a little bit about uh, this book and what it entails? Sure, I'd be delighted to. Thanks so much for having me. When I was the president and CEO of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association, I was an unlikely candidate. I had been an environmental activist. Then as I matured, I became an environmental consultant. And then ultimately, I ended up as the as the face, the representative of the oil and gas industry. Um, that the accidentally part of adamant is in those earlier chapters of my life. I thought I had all the answers, and then as I continued to progress and mature in my career, and particularly five and a half years at Koga, um, I I really learned that I that the the defining characteristic of my um, more mature, mature phase of my career was changing my mind and being willing to learn new things. So the book is really uh, uh, one part suggesting um, to the reader how to approach life in maybe a more flexible way. It's one part a case uh, for the oil and gas industry, the people who define themselves as environmentalists. Uh, and then it's one part, just interesting stories, hopefully. There's a fire, there's a flood, there's a bear, there's sheriffs involved. And so try to keep it interesting and moving. Um, th- that led, I left Koga four years ago now. And um, but after digesting the experience I had on what I learned, I founded Edmonton Energy. And now there's five of us uh, full-time. And what we do is work to de-escalate conflicts around energy. And we also work to help um, particularly oil and gas companies, 
but any any energy company think about the future and prepare for a future that is uh, is changing very quickly. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we get through this podcast because it's unavoidable in the areas that we work. Yeah, well, it's interesting, uh, Tisha. And I'm, I, I'm uh, anxious to read the book myself because I really believe that all of us need to be thinking about how we can have a more open mindset as we face such uh, dramatic change that's happening in all industries. And, you know, we talk about digital change, but really, uh, as we look at uh, the uh, energy sector and any sector today, we're seeing a lot of disruption. And I think, uh, as you well described, we all need to be open to new context, new ideas. And, and I think as we live in a world of big data, we all know that uh, big data leads to more information and and hopefully that information will help us all have greater insights as to how to face some of these challenges of our future. Uh, you know, Tisha, I've been reading here recently a blog that you have started, um, and you actually started a series uh, called What to Watch in the Oil and Gas Sector. And you mentioned seven emerging trends or fronts that are happening in the oil and gas sector. Would you mind sharing with our audience today what you see as some emerging trends and and how oil and gas sector should be prepared for some of those trends. It's the the blog really came about when I realized that opposition to oil and gas development had reached a new level and maybe even possibly a tipping point where the public was more empathetic to arguments against the need for oil and gas than they were for affordable, always available energy. And um, in this theme of being sensitive to changes in the in the world and changing our perspective, I went back to square one for myself. And instead of really focusing on educating the public and helping uh, energy companies educate the public, I realized we need to be more um, engaged in how they're thinking and looking at the world. So that's where I started. I identified from there were seven uh, financial trends, because that's one way we can um, speak in the language of uh, our clients is to look at what are things that might hit the bottom line. One is shareholder resolutions. Companies can be targeted by um, environmental activists in one way, which is to set up shareholder uh, resolutions uh, that ask them to do something like set up a, a two-degree climate scenario or measure their methane emissions or reduce their carbon emissions. And in 2014, those kind of resolutions um, would, would gather maybe 20% of the vote. But by 2017, those were passing. And now we're seeing a really significant trend of this being one of the areas that environmental activism is successfully targeting publicly traded oil and gas companies. That's one of the trends. Another one is this: um, these aspirational regulations. We just saw last week that uh, New York is passing a very aggressive decarbonization um, law of the land. And the proponents that are looking at these kind of regulations do not have a path to uh, net zero uh, carbon or decarbonization, getting um, carbon out of the energy system, but they're passing laws regardless. And I think it's easy to be dismissive of these as aspirational, but they're changing the way the public is talking about fossil fuels and oil and gas. And I think companies need to be um, really aware of that. So so my first advice, you had asked, what, how do you prepare? The first is really to start taking these trends 
seriously, to watch them, to watch how the public is responding to them, to understand how they're perceived as victories uh, pretty well universally for the future of energy and the future discussion around climate. And and in, in understanding them and taking seriously, then companies can begin to have an internal conversation about how to respond. Yeah. Well, you said something there a moment ago, Tisha, that I think all of us uh, know we appreciate ourselves, and that is uh, really the idea of engagement. Uh, I think it is so important today that as um, any organization or business that we engage, uh, even those who have opposite opinions of ourselves, so that we can really begin to better understand what that looks like, what that means to us, what the risks associated with that are. So. Um, I think we hear those words, collaboration and engagement. Uh, we hear about crucial conversations, but that's not an easy, easy thing. And I, I guess I'd be interested in, in knowing what, what has, has been some of the responses from these insights that you've been sharing over the last several weeks? I, I've been, frankly, just shocked at the, the overwhelming response that I've gotten. And I would say that uh, more than half, is a curious and interested response from industry. So I think all of us that work um, in the energy industry feel that a change is underfoot, are aware of the conversations happening in the public space around particularly uh, fossil fuels and the future of fossil fuels. And there's we, we share this, this generic unease. So by, by focusing on specific trends and specific things happening in the news and putting them into the context of this larger conversation, it seems to me it's providing a bit of a relief for, for an uncertain um, uh, audience that wants to make sense of what's happening and wants to engage responsibly and thinking about the future for their company and for their employees. Then there's maybe um, another quarter of a response that is uh, dubious and really wants to um, encourage uh, particularly the oil and gas industry to stand up and fight. So fight misinformation, fight uh, the perspective that um, fossil fuels are no longer needed or will no longer be needed. And that's a, a perspective that I understand, that I empathize with, uh, but that I'm not going to focus on in my, in my uh, blog installments. Because I think that there's plenty of people talking about that and working on the fight. My interest is transcending the fight and identifying a shared future. And then the, the last uh, bit of audience responses from people outside the oil and gas industry. And that is really an interesting um, perspective to get because uh, those responses are a little bit, yeah, duh, <laughs> we know this is going on. And for me, the range of responses I'm getting highlights the divide um, in perspectives that that often is is more driven by political position than by um, maybe experience with energy. So I've been really enjoying getting this wide range of response, and it helps me continue to think about making sure every installment I write is setting an opportunity to transcend these political divides and find a common set of values and aspire to articulate a shared future. Yeah, that's that's outstanding, Tisha. I, I uh, applaud that effort, and there needs to be more of that type of thinking in today's 
you know, not just uh, oil and gas sector, but in all sectors as we really see, you know, the proliferation of technology and new solutions and new opportunities. Uh, Tisha, in, in, in your original article, you talked uh, a little bit about how uh, oil and gas companies can seize the day, you know, what successful companies actually are doing or will need to do in the future. And, of course, we could broaden that uh, really to be any uh, entity within the energy sector. Would you, would you share a little bit about what really are some uh, focus areas in which uh, you believe energy companies can focus on to seize the day? Sure. The first thing I think that companies uh, can be doing, and in fact, employees can be doing, is to take stock and take seriously of these conversations that are happening in public spaces about the future of energy, and um, also paying attention to the conversation of climate. Although both of these topics have been polarized and politicized, um, if, if, we were, if we were in a war... We would want to study the opposition. We would want to understand the way they, they, they think, and that we would want to understand their tactics. I prefer not to think of this as a war, but regardless, the first thing we need to do is understand the conversations that are happening out there and think about whether or not they pose risk to the companies. So after taking stock, my um, second recommendation for companies is to really do a risk assessment internally. Uh, as companies, uh, we're very comfortable thinking about risks in the future, whether it's a recession, a price collapse, um, a weather event. And we can think of these external forces as risks that we want to assess and mitigate. And that's one to take, that's one way to take them out of this politicized, charged arena. And instead, just think about them as risks that we're going to look at and manage like any other. And then the third um, component that I think is important is that companies look at their response in a very authentic and unique way. For example, my company gets called a lot uh, by uh, companies that want a uh, environmental social governance and ESG report or help getting a permit. But usually, this is a superficial request, something to tag on to the way the company is operating um, under the status quo. And what, what we're really interested in, what we think is going to transform the risk, is for companies to look at, at these issues, tie them to their values, and deeply change the way they're thinking about the future and engaging with the public. So deep, authentic, and unique change. And then the last thing I'll say, because that's pretty scary, is I think it's completely fine to tackle in an incremental way. So having a three-year strategy to take uh, baby steps in how these questions are addressed, and ultimately to be visionary in the way that we are with other aspects of our business. And that can be, uh, we can have visionary long-term goals, but we can conduct our implementation in a very uh, measured and uh, incremental way that manages uh, the potential for risk and the actual risk. Well, those are some very good insights. I, you know, as I listen to you, Tish, I, I, I heard these, these thoughts that I believe really will resonate with our audience. And that first thought that I, I wrote down here is deeply change 
uh, our thinking. And I, I notice you use the word deeply, uh, which I find interesting because I think that uh, that whole idea of thinking differently is not an easy, easy thing. Would you agree? Absolutely. And it's even harder to do when you think of yourself as in battle, because um, it is so difficult to work in the energy business or really any infrastructure where you face opposition and regulatory uncertainty. And then it's easy to think of, of our job is right. And when we're entrenched or we're defensive, then it's really hard to think deeply about doing things differently because we don't want the other side to win. So that's why reframing is such a key component of this. Thinking in a big way, thinking about the future, that helps us then, I think, to think deeply because we're not worried that we're giving the other side a win. We're actually crafting a future for our company um, that transcends uh, the, the, the politics of this moment. You know, Tisha, coming from the uh, energy sector, I can really agree with you that we need visionary leaders. Uh, I think we need people who can really see beyond current circumstances, see beyond uh, current, you know, conflict, uh, current context. Uh, I'd just like for perhaps in closing, if you would, uh, when you think about that idea of uh, visionary or visionary leaders, uh, could you take a moment and just define for our audience uh, what you see that looking like, uh, not only in the oil and gas sector, but in the broader, broader energy sector. Sure. And, and to do that, I like to ground in, in history a little bit because we're not asking uh, of ourselves uh, things that are, are impossible. The energy industry has transformed radically, you know, maybe every 30 years um, since we started uh, changing our way of life and creating prosperity around North America and around the world. And and what I think visionary means now is asking, what does the next 30, 60, 90 years for energy look like? We know the way we deliver energy and in the form of services is going to change radically. We know technology is going to change the types of fuels and the way we use fuels. And we know the public expects uh, it to keep getting cheaper and more available and more invisible. And with all of those things, there is also the potential to have a shared vision of reducing environmental footprint with all these components. And whether for some that is reducing carbon, for other it's air emissions, for some it's a smaller footprint. But I think a visionary leader also adds uh, this component and the aspiration of meeting the expectations of the public with a very realistic, pragmatic uh, implementation plan in the present. Um, and, and the last thing I'll say is I want to acknowledge that energy companies are challenged to meet their current development programs or delivery expectations. And I'm not saying we drop that and move to something radical. I think the vision is in identifying a future that includes these shared aspirations and then working very pragmatically to set a path there that includes delivering and also the flexibility to change into the future. Well, Tisha, for our audience, I'm certain that they have, as we've had the opportunity to, to visit with you today, to see um, that you're a visionary leader. I've had the opportunity to meet you in person and 
And again, I've, I've enjoyed visiting with you today and I do appreciate uh, your leadership and what Adam and Tina is doing in the broader energy sector. We need visionary leaders like yourself. Uh, I have such respect for individuals like yourself also who are uh, creating a greater dialogue that's needed in, in the broader uh, policies and, and how we can begin to leverage new technologies, new ideas uh, to meet the demands of our future. So thank you so much, Tisha, for, for coming on today and, and sharing these insights. And we hope that perhaps in the uh, coming months we'll, we can have you back to, to uh, share more insights with our audience. I really enjoyed it, David. Thanks for having me, and I'd be honored to, to come back and see how this continues to evolve. Well, thank you so much, and thank you to our audience for joining us again for another edition of the Digital Change Podcast, and we hope that you'll join us again next week. Do you have questions about the digital transformation or want to share your experiences in the digital economy with the Digital Change team? Then reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram at IPSmartBuzz or by filling out the listener feedback form at globalinnovationpodcast.com. And if you like our show, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.